How are you doing? Good. You're looking great, all of you. Uh, welcome back to another Sunday at the Exchange Church. Worship was fantastic. Um, I loved seeing the young men down here worshiping. Um, there was a group of them. I, if, if they were young women, I'm sorry I didn't see you. I just The men were right in front of my face. Uh, when I say young men, I'm, I'm talking 18, 19, 20, 21, somewhere in that, like young men. And um, my wife leans over to me and she said, you do realize that's not normal. And I was like, yeah, I know. It's really not normal to have a church that is so so strong with men wanting to worship the Lord. Um, I don't know if I've shared this with you or not, but a few weeks ago we ran some metrics and found that 51% of our volunteers are men. That's incredible. I, maybe you don't know, understand church metrics, but to have 51% of your volunteers be men is amazing because historically in most churches, women carry the church. I mean, that's just the way it's been. Since I've been growing up for generations, women bring their families to the house of the Lord. And thank God for women. But I'm thanking God for a 51% volunteer rate of men at the Exchange Church. It's incredible. And that is why we throw axes around here. Because we are men. Anyway. We're in a series called Back at It, Back in the Rhythm, prioritizing our relationship with Jesus Christ. And over the last few weeks, I've talked to you on a, a variety of things. I, if you remember, I talked about burning the ships to where you can press forward and keep moving on with where God has called you. And then last week, I came back around and I told you that maybe plan B has gotten a bad rap. Maybe God sometimes will use a plan B in our life to get us where he wants us to be. Um, and today, I just want to I want to end the series on something just really practical because I just sense in the room, even during worship, that there is just such a hunger in the room for people to lean more into God than ever before. Maybe you grew up in the church, but you find yourself wandering from the routines that kept you seeing his face, hearing his voice. And God is just drawing you this morning. Maybe you've You've been like in the 51% and serving every single Sunday and you've been up here worshiping nonstop, but you found yourself stuck in motion and routine and habit and you just missed the tender voice of Holy Spirit. I believe that today we're going we're gonna to help and lean into that because I want to ask six questions, six questions that come in Psalm 93 that will help us cultivate devotion in your life. How many of you are ready just to lean into more devotion, more intimacy with Jesus? All right, I've got six questions for you to ask yourself. And through these six questions, we're going to discuss a couple of different things. I'm going to share with you just the practical steps that draw me close to Jesus. Is that all right? If I'm just, I'll be, I'll be really transparent. I'll tell you the things that work for me, the things that I slack on, the things that haven't worked for me. Is that all right? You won't judge me too much. Is that okay? Do we have a deal? Okay. I want to just share, you, share with you my life, okay? The practical steps that help me get close to Jesus. And then also, I want to share with you the one trap that if you're trying to get close to Jesus, almost guaranteed you're going to fall into this trap. Because I do it 
almost every time I circle this mountain and I'm getting closer to Jesus, there's this, this trap. And it's so subtle, but I want to keep you from falling into it. So I'm going to expose the trap, let you know where it is, and then give you the solution to it, okay? And then finally, I'm going to share with you at the end just one simple hack that always draws me closer to Jesus. And it is not at all as spiritual as you may think it is for a pastor. It is something just so completely human. You're going to be like, what? That's dumb. But it just works for me. And so I just want to share that with you. Is that okay? Okay, we're going to lean in today. The title of my sermon is Cultivating Devotion. Father, I come before you today. God, I thank you for our time together. I thank you, God, that we've had the, the time to put you first in worship, to, to just lavish our praise on you, to, to share our heart with you. And now, God, we just want to sit still before you and, and let your Holy Spirit just begin to deposit things into our heart, into our, into our mind, into our spirit. Let us leave changed, changed to the uttermost. In Jesus' name I pray, let the church say, Amen. Amen. Our devotion is a dance. Let's just set the framework for a moment. Your devotion with Jesus, it's kind of a, kind of a dance. Do you know what I mean when I say dance? Um, if, you, if you're in a, a marriage, you understand how the relationship is a dance. If you have kids, as they go from five years to 15 to 25, you understand it's a dance. You take different positions on the floor as they age and as they grow, and, and you learn different rhythms and, and all of that. Our devotion is a dance, and I, I wish it could be as simple as a checklist, because I really like checklists. I like to be able to just put the, you know, the graph on the wall and know when I've hit all the benchmarks, and then I can just say, yes, I'm devoted to Jesus. Is there anyone else in the room like me you just really wish it was a checklist? Great. Well, it's not. It's not. Uh, because there are seasons. There are seasons where things dif are, are different and they feel different. And there are seasons where God wants to relate to you in a different way. He wants to approach you in a different way. Uh, you know, for example, for me, attending church, church usually feels really, really fruitful. But then there are times where I come to church and I'm like, meh. I mean, everybody showed up but God. I mean, that's how I feel on some Sundays. Have you ever felt that way? Don't say it now. Don't say it. Well, if you have, know that that's normal. That's normal. But I keep coming to church because it's not a church thing. It's a devotion thing. And it's through the process of devotion that the saints are matured. And so we're in this for the long haul. We're not in this for the short buzz, the short just feeling the hair on our neck stand up because the presence of God did something. We're in this for eternity, right? So our devotion is, is a dance, and it's easy to drift away. Even as a, a pastor, a leader in the church, someone that grew up in the church, I, I'm pretty sure I was, I was born at the altar. Like, I've just known Jesus from day one. And it's still easy for me to drift away. You, you may have worship music, Hillsong, or Elevation, or whatever your favorite is, playing on Alexa 24 hours a day with candles lit, and you've got the best environment at home, but sometimes you can walk into that environment and just feel stale. 
Like you want so desperately to feel the presence of God, to feel intimacy with him. And it just, you feel like you're going through all the motions, but it just feels stale. Does that happen to you or is it, is it just to me? But our devotion continues on. We continue to go through the things that we know um, because at some point it circles back around. At some point the dance goes back to that pattern. Do you know what I mean? We don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together because we showed up and didn't feel the tingle. We don't stop reading the word of God because we happen to be reading in lamentations. We don't stop prayer because God's not talking back to us. I'm making my list and I'm writing it out and I'm praying and he's not talking back to me. We don't stop the disciplines that we know because we're not feeling the effects of it. We continue to do it because devotion works that way. You keep staying devoted and at some point it circles back around. Now these questions that I want you to ask yourself come out of Psalm 63. So if you'll turn with me, we're going to read that entire chapter. Can you hand me that? Thank you. Now, Psalm 63 is a song by David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Just to give you a little bit of context, the desert of Judah was the scene of the start of David's journey into exile. So he's heading into this season of great rebellion. He's heading into a land that is very weary, and he's leaving behind him the Jerusalem sanctuary, the place where he had often had a real awareness of God among his people. Okay, so he's leaving the familiar awareness of God, and he's heading into the wilderness, and these are the thoughts and the questions that we can uh, get from David. Psalm 63, verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no Water. Now, I just want you to notice in this verse, verse 1, the very first of the line says, Oh God, my God. So there's an acknowledgement that we're in relationship, right? The very last part of that verse says, Where there is no water. Anyone ever felt like in your relationship with Jesus, there was just no water? Anybody? Just dry, like you're going through the motions, but where is Where is the water? And that's exactly how David is feeling in this verse. And this is the first question. If we want to lean into our devotion, this is the first question we can ask ourselves today. Number one, am I earnestly seeking God? Am I earnestly seeking God? Am I just going through the motions because it's habit? Or am I going through the motions because I understand that there's an end goal? I understand that I'm pursuing someone. I understand that at the end of my dry spell, this lack of water, if I continue to stay faithful, continue to stay rooted and grounded and moving in the right direction, there's going to be a well that isn't dry. Am I earnestly seeking God? The next verse I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. David says, I've seen you in the sanctuary and I've 
beheld your power and your glory. Now, this is important for us because, Zacharias, what we behold, we become. What I continue to place before my eyes is what I become. And and David says here, I've seen your glory. I've beheld your power and your glory. And that leads me to our second question. When was the last time I saw God? Am I really experiencing the power of God in my life? The, the power to break strongholds? The power to break sin patterns? Is my life consistently being transformed by the power of God? Do I sense your power working in me when I have a conversation with someone? Uh, Carrie told the story, and I won't, I won't use it because she'll probably use it at some point, but she was telling her team this morning about a, a little boy, a young man, who came up to the door wanting to wash her car to help pay for rent. And um, she called me and said, hey, there's a young man at the front door. I want to pay him to wash the car. He he needs it to help his mom pay rent. And um, of course, I'm not home, and I'm wanting to protect her. And I'm like, lock the door. Uh, He may look young, but we don't know, you know. Um, But through the course of that 30 minutes, 45 minutes, and we were able to bless him Carrie, Carrie was able to bless him uh, for more than a car wash cost um, because there was a need there and, and there was a moment where God wanted to use Carrie. And, and because she was leaning into her devotion with Jesus, she was able to recognize an opportunity that came knocking on the door. And the power of God was able to work through the conversation that she had with this little boy. When is the last time that we have felt the power of God. When did you see God? Am I having a form of godliness but denying its power? James chapter 4, verses 8 through 10 says, Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So we, there's some connection with the power of God and the fact that we become clean. Clean, you know, like before you eat, you wash your hands, right? After you go to the bathroom, you wash your hands. 100% men. That's what we do at the Exchange Church, 100%. We go to the bathroom, then we wash our hands. I should be having to fill up that soap bottle more than I do, man. I'm I'm just kidding. There's something about cleanliness that lends itself to devotion. Now, I won't go into this. Maybe this would be some good study for you. In Ruth chapter 3, In Ruth 3, Ruth is going to Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and her mother-in-law, Naomi, tells her she needs to do a few things to get close to him. And the first thing says, clean yourself. And we see over and over in Scripture this notion of, of getting clean. Now, the good news is you don't have to get clean before you come to know Jesus. If you're far from Jesus today, I'm not at all suggesting that you clean up your mess and then God will accept you. We're not, 
I'm actually not addressing that at all. God accepts you just the way you are. I'm talking about a sanctification, a devotion. You're wanting to hear Holy Spirit more? Get clean. Do you see the difference? Do you want eternal life because Jesus died for you? He receives you just as you are. Say yes. That is different from you wanting to lean more into Holy Spirit. You're wanting to have dreams and visions. You're wanting him to reveal himself in scripture. You're wanting him to give you prophecies and word of knowledge. Get clean. Get clean. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. James 4, 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts. Maybe the first thing that we should look at when we're thinking about our devotion with Jesus is, Lord, what area of my life needs to be cleansed? What needs to be washed with the water of your word? 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Since we have these promises, what are the promises? You can see them in chapter 6. The, pr- the promises are that you are the temple of God, that God wants to work in you and through you, and God wants to reveal himself to you. And since God wants to reveal himself to you, you have the promise that he will do that We need to cleanse ourselves from everything that defiles us. We're not saved by works. I just want to make sure that we understand that. Um, But if we are saved, our works will reflect someone walking in salvation. So I I guess this brings me to the one trap that I need to pull back the curtain and let you see. Because this would be the point where the trap is kind of doing this to you right now. Um, some of you, your heart's racing a little bit. Some of you feel like uh, if it's requiring a cleaning, uh, I've not even been to the dentist in seven years. Uh, if, if, this is, if this is what it takes, this, this cleaning process, count me out. I don't want devotion with God. Now, this is, this is the trap that the enemy wants to set for you, okay? Do you, are you here? I need you to hear this. The trap is you're not responsible For the cleaning. It's not in what you do or don't do. So the trap is this. Striving. Some of us right now have been thinking throughout the last 10 minutes of my sermon, I really want to be closer to Jesus. And then I talked about cleaning. And all of a sudden you're thinking of all the things that you can clean up about yourself so that you get closer to Jesus. That's called striving. And the enemy will constantly bring something to your awareness that isn't quite right, isn't quite holy, isn't quite enough. We're not talking today about you not being enough. It's not about you cleaning up all the mess and striving to earn devotion. It's about surrender. Surrender. Now, I want to break this down maybe just a, a bit for you. Because this is a trap that the enemy uses, so I want you to understand what sanctification looks like and how it impacts our devotion. Okay, let's just say that you've done something wrong, all right? Or let's just say that your kid has done something wrong, or your husband, all right? If, if, if you don't want to imagine yourself, choose someone else. But you've done something wrong, 
And then there's this check inside of you, this, ah, that was bad. Do you know what we call that? We call that conviction. So when a child of God, when a son or a daughter of God does something wrong, there should be, and usually is, a check. Oh, I shouldn't have been that angry. No, oh, I shouldn't have. I shouldn't have hung up on him. Oh, I, <laughs> yeah, don't hang up on people. Let's move beyond that. Oh, I, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said I was going to be there at a certain time and I was 15 minutes late. I should let my word be my word. I should let my word establish that I'm a follower of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? So, so you, you think of these little things and there's just this, oh, I should have not done that. That conviction happens. Well, this is the point where there's two roads that you can take. All right, This is how cleanliness works. Once you get that conviction, you can give it to God Say, God, I'm sorry. I know that I, I, I crossed the line. I should have done that. I know that's not the, the nature of Jesus inside of me. Help me to change. That's the first road, change. Conviction leads to change. Don't ever feel bad that you feel bad. You should feel bad if you've done something bad because a son or a daughter should feel bad to know that they've done something bad because that conviction lets you know you're out of alignment. And that conviction leads to change. But there's another road that you can take from that feel-bad state. Is this making sense? When I feel bad, if I don't surrender, which leads to change, I then justify, which leads to compromise. So there are two roads from conviction that happens. Either change or compromise. Compromise is I justify it because, oh, I was tired. Oh, I was lonely. Oh, I was angry. Oh, my girlfriend broke up with me. Oh, I, I didn't have money. Oh, my parents made me mad. Uh, I, well, I'm not as smart as they are, so I deserve this leg up. I, my parents weren't as rich as their parents, so I deserve this help. You justify it. There was a conviction. Holy Spirit was trying to bring you back into alignment, and you felt bad. Good for you. That's great, but there's no glory in feeling bad. you got to move toward the change. Instead, you move toward compromise, and you justified it because you didn't really understand that this feeling bad was a gift from Holy Spirit. And so to cover up the feeling bad, you, you justify it, you compromise, and guess what? There's going to be another test in this area. And you're going to either fall again or you're going to think back to that conviction. And that is our, our goal, to allow the conviction to lead us to change. That's what it looks like to wash ye hands, O ye sinners. It doesn't mean leave the church house until you're perfect and come back. It means listen to that inner witness. When you've done something, when you've crossed the line, when you've, you've looked at something on the computer that you shouldn't have, Listen to the inner witness and let the Holy Spirit lead you to change. Your flesh, your carnality, Satan will want you to compromise. He'll want you to make excuses. He will want you to compare. But conviction can lead to change. And that change is what Scripture is saying is cleanliness. That happens when you encounter the power of God. So for some of us who are never changing, never getting clean, we're not seeing the face of God. Have you seen God? Let's read verse 3 because I'm almost out of time. 
Verse 3 through 7, we've asked two questions already. Am I earnestly seeking God? Then we've asked, when is the last time that I saw God? Those are some good gut checks for you. Psalm 63, 3 through 7, because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. On my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night because you are my help. I sing in the shadow of your wings. I put all of those verses together, and we'll go back through and pull out a few questions from them individually. But the overarching theme here is worship. And the question you need to ask yourself regarding devotion is, how's my worship? When is the last time I spent time in worship? Life-changing worship. Not, Not referring to worship on a platform in a church. Individual worship. Worship that reveals God's holiness and reveals just how much you need him. Worship isn't a music concert. It's heart surgery. It's warfare. It's gratitude. It's humility. How is my worship? Now I want to back up to verse 5, pull out a few more questions for you. He says, my soul will be satisfied as with the richest of foods. With singing lips, my mouth will praise you. My soul will be satisfied as. That's known in the English world as a simile, using like or as. So he's not saying that your soul will be satisfied with the richest of foods. Your soul will be satisfied like or as the richest of foods. The question you should ask, number four, am I fully satisfied with God? I hope that you'll take these questions home and really spend some time quietly before the Lord and ask yourself these questions because some of them really trip me up. Some of them really convict me. You ever had a meal that was just perfect? Like you you ate to your content, it was delicious, you had the right amount of proteins, the right amount of the right healthy fats, like it was a perfect avocado, perfectly ripe. You know, there's like a three minute window of when avocados are ripe. <laughs> and you you had it during that three minute window. The meal was perfect. And you were just so full, you were so satisfied, so content. The waiter comes up to you and asks if you want dessert. Well, you love dessert, but you're literally just so satisfied in that moment. That happened to Carrie and I recently. We, we will eat some dessert, but we were just like satisfied. We're like, no, we're, we're actually good. We want to end on this note. Have you ever had a meal like that? And I'm not talking about Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving, that's not satisf- satisfaction. That's gluttony. That is, that is borderline heading into coma. I'm talking about that perfect meal. And I know they don't come along every day, but when you have them, you have them. Do you know what I mean? You may not even remember the last meal that was just, you were perfectly satisfied. In, in the same way that I'm satisfied with a meal like that, am I satisfied in my relationship with Jesus? The same way. Or am I just filling my life with other things? The other things could be career, leisure, pleasure, relationships, sports, travel, television, hobbies, 
social media? Am I, am I looking for satisfaction with all of these other things or is Jesus actually enough? Because when we're truly satisfied with Jesus, then the waiter comes over and he asks, you know, if we'd like to try a bit of um, YouTube scrolling, social media approval, all the things that we kind of get wrapped up in, we're like, ah, not today, I'm good. And, And it's not that those are bad things, we just don't need those things. We can indulge them if you want to, just, you know, like a little spoon of tiramisu, a little spoon of social media. It's just on top of what is already, did I say that right, tiramisu? Is that a dessert? Yeah. It's like pudding, right? It's like cake. I don't know what tiramisu is. I've had it before, but I've only had like a little spoon of it. But you know, when you're satisfied with Jesus, those extra things that sometimes consume us become optional. And I'm not here to say that all these things are bad for you. Social media is bad and television is bad and sports are bad. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that rather than letting them control you, you can be so satisfied with Jesus and your relationship with him that you take those things as they add value to you, not as they deplete you. Verse 6 David says, on my bed, I remember you. I think of you through the watches of the night. The fifth question, almost, almost the last one, the fifth question, do I really, do I really walk with God? I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm not suggesting that you question your salvation right now. I'm asking How much of my time and energy is devoted to Jesus? Do I fit him in casually as my day allows it? Or is my time with Jesus the center of my days? Like, are you walking with God? Or I might go to church on Sunday and then that just holds you through for the next five weeks. You know, most people attend church every six weeks now. That's the running stat. So if you've been here uh, in... You know, it's been six weeks since you've been here. Hey, you, you're right on target. Don't feel bad. That's where most Christians are, are at. But I'm asking you, if you're waiting for a Sunday to hear from Jesus, to interact with Jesus, are you walking with God? Here are ways that I walk with God. Reading Scripture. Reading scripture is a big one for me, and it's not just sitting down and trying to read as much as I can, but reading it and then meditating on it throughout the day. You'll find that if you'll focus on just a scripture or two, that God will start to bring things around you that speak into that theme in your life. So if you read just a scripture or two on peace, maybe you need peace, you're reading about peace, then you'll start to see other things around you that are pouring into the theme of peace. So If we're allowing Scripture to be planted in our heart, we start to then see the world through the lens of the Scripture that we read. Another way that we can walk with God is prayer. Awaken on Wednesdays is a perfect time to pray, but I'm not talking about just a set time of prayer. I'm talking about do you walk with Him? Are you you constantly talking to Him as you're walking from here to your car, maybe no one's walking with you. I'm not suggesting that you ignore your spouse to talk to God, but if you're walking somewhere alone, take Jesus with you. 
Have conversations with him. Journaling is another way to walk with God. Another one that is becoming one of my favorites more, more now than ever. Began in 2020, I guess, when the lockdown started. Um, it's always been a favorite of my wife's, but I think I'm just now catching on board with what she knew from the beginning. Um, walking with God by spending time in nature. Nature actually reveals the heart of God. That's biblical, by the way. Romans chapter 1, verse 20 uh, tells us that since the creation of the world, his invisible nature can be seen through nature that is made. So you can actually spend time with Jesus while you're going on this connect group five-mile walk, seeing trees, hearing the birds, watching the water, like you can encounter God through nature. Another way to walk with God is talking to a friend about what God is doing in their life. I don't know if, you, if you've ever been in conversations where people just start talking about God and the goodness of God and what he's done for them and the, the atmosphere shifts in the room. You know, you could be talking about tiramisu. No, it's Italian. No, it's Mexican. I don't know what it is. Talking about food and fried chicken and all that stuff. And then you talk about how the Lord woke you up last night to pray for somebody. And then you found out that they needed it. They were in a time of prayer. All of a sudden, the atmosphere shifts, right? Or like last Sunday. How many were here last Sunday? Can I share the journal story? How many were here last Sunday and I... I encouraged a young man to write in his journal that God wanted to meet him in his journal. Well, the parents came up to me after church and said, you're not going to believe this. He's been asking for a journal for two weeks. And we pulled some from our closet, and he was like, no, that's not good enough. I want a leather journal. And I said last week, get him a leather journal, Dad, a good one. Dad's going to pay for it. And they had actually come to church last week with the intention of going to a store after church to get a good leather journal. That's amazing that God spoke to this young man. He'll never forget that God knew what was going on in his world and what he wanted. I mean, a leather journal, God knew it. Heaven sent a messenger from heaven to let him know, I'm going to meet you in the pages of that journal. You see, when you talk about what God's doing among us, the atmosphere just shifts. This is how we walk with God. When you're at home with your kids, with your spouse, with your family, let's start to, let's start to in, insert in our conversations what God is doing. I'm afraid some of us might feel insecure asking that question because you don't know how you would answer it. If somebody came up to you and said, hey, Greg, what's God doing in your life right now? Maybe you wouldn't know how to answer that. Ask other people anyway. Even if you don't know how to answer, ask other people because by talking about God, you're walking with God. It reminds me of, and I've really, I'm so out of time. I'll tell you what, what doesn't work for me. You want what doesn't work for me? Journaling. It's going to work for him because God's going to meet him there. But journaling doesn't work for me. Um, it's not that journaling is bad. I'm a huge advocate of journaling. I'm just not consistent with it. And so it's almost like, I'll jump into journaling for a day or two, and then for weeks I won't, and then I'll come back around to it. Do you know what I mean? I think that sometimes, like, God likes us to set the table with consistency when we encounter him in the rhythms of our life. And so, I, for whatever reason, I don't encounter God in my journaling. But that's on me, not on God. God can meet you in the pages of your journal. 
but that's the one that doesn't work for me. One that really has been working for me a lot, ooh, a lot lately is I keep just randomly asking Holy Spirit how he feels right now. And no one really taught me to do that. I think um, it's been maybe a few months now where I just I just thought of it one day. I was just like, hey, I was bored, I guess. I'm like, hey, Holy Spirit, how do you feel right now? And he answered me. It's almost like he had been waiting for me to ask that question you know, for generations. And I've found over the course of two months that I've been asking him this, um, that he's been super proud of me. I've found that I've, I've grieved him when, when I got too busy and too rushed. It's little things, you know, it's little nuances about the emotions of the Holy Spirit. He, he, has, he has feelings. He's not like Casper the ghost up here just pulling strings for your good. He has feelings and he wants to, wants to talk to you. And so this is the thing that currently right now is my hot thing. Like I will just tear up driving down the road if I think to ask Holy Spirit, how are you feeling right now? And he answers me. Walking with God is feels, I guess, a bit mysterious. Even like Psalm 63, it's hard to put it into a, a category of one, two, three, and four, you know? It's like you lean into what works at the mo moment and you, you pull out and you lean into something else. I was thinking about Enoch. I'm really studying Enoch these past few weeks. And he's, he is probably the most interesting character in the Bible that you've never heard about. <laughs> Genesis tells us that he was walking with God and then he didn't because God took him. Like he was walking with God and then he no longer existed because God took him. And we find in, in Hebrews chapter 11, Enoch is, is listed in the hall of faith and it says that he pleased God. And that tells us, that's where it tells us without faith it is impossible to please God. And we learn that Enoch became like God's best friend. Isn't that crazy? In the beginning of the world, Enoch was walking with God. God liked him so much. God said, I think I'm going to take you to heaven with me. And took him. Man, I want to be a friend of God like that. I want to walk with him so much and just know his heart and him know mine and me receive the discipline and the rebuke and, and me just lean into the intimacy of him. The one day he's like, man, that Trey, I like him. I think I'm, I'm just going to take him. It says people look for Enoch. Can you imagine back in that day, how long did they have to travel to look for Enoch before they finally realized God just took him? Like he... God just took him. And it's interesting because we do know this. Enoch lived to be 300. Now I'm just getting on my soapbox because this is fun. Can I have two minutes? Enoch lived to be 365 years, but something happened when he was 65 years of age. At the age of 65, he had a son named Methuselah. I know, I used to think it was a woman with serpent hair, but that's Medusa. Methuselah. Methuselah is the oldest person to have ever lived. And um, so at 65, Enoch had Methuselah. And he named him Methuselah because that means at his death, it shall come. 
God gave him a revelation that at the death of Methuselah, the flood was going to come and all of humanity was going to be wiped away. So at the age of 65, when he was given his son's name, Methuselah, his life dramatically changed and he lived the next 300 years walking with God in very, very tight communion and fellowship. And then God took him. God took him. And I, I, I just believe that's our goal. Our goal is to understand that you have a creator who wants to walk so close to you that you feel at any moment he might just pick you up and take you home. I'll leave you with the last question. It's based on Psalm 63, 7 through 11. Because you are my help, I sing in the shadow of your wings. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. The last question, do I really trust God? Do I really, really, really trust God? When I'm mistreated, accused falsely, belittled, betrayed, do I really trust that God is for me? Or do I fix it all? Do I have to control it all? Do I have to set the outcomes? Trusting God requires humility and requires devotion. Do you trust God? Some of us are good at trusting God when it's regarding our enemies. Our enemies have spoken out against us or done something to us or betrayed us. And oh, we can just, we don't retaliate. We don't seek vengeance. We just trust God. But I want to ask you, can you trust God when it comes to you hurting you? When you've made a mistake, when you fly off the handle, when you say or do something that doesn't reflect Jesus, do you still believe that God is for you? Or do you spend your time trying to punish yourself rather than trusting the grace of God to complete his work in you? Do you trust him? Your homework, I'm going to send you with homework today. Your homework is, I want you to write out, make a list of all the things that you put your trust in. Maybe you put your trust in money. Maybe you put your trust in relationships. Maybe you put your trust in education. Maybe you put your trust in uh, the security that you have at home, your family. Make a list of all the things that you trust in. And I want you to remind yourself of this one thing. This truth is those things may add temporary value to your life, but you cannot put your trust in any of them. They all have the potential to fail you your spouse, your children, your money, your education, your family, your relationships, every single one has the potential to fail you. So where have you placed your trust? Stand to your feet. I'm going to pray over you. And I promised to give you, send you away with one simple hack that I use and it's in the area of trust when I'm having a hard time trusting God do you know what that produces in me? anxiety probably you too because that's a natural result of I gotta fix it all and I have to make it work or this person has offended me or this person's upset with me and I, 
I just get all up in my head over my own situation and circumstances. So this is a simple, oh, very silly thing that I do. And if it works for you, I actually, everyone that comes to me with anxiety, this is one thing that I give them to do. It's an exercise. And if it works for you, just email me and let me know. It'll validate me being this vulnerable, okay? What I do when I'm stuck in my own mind and anxiety is going crazy because I find I'm not trusting God is I get in my car and I go to H-E-B. I go to H-E-B parking lot and I look at all the carts that are in the parking lot and I start to load them in the carousel while I'm praying and I'm angry and I'm bitter, whatever the, all those emotions are, you know what I mean? I'm scared, whatever the emotions are, I'm loading all the carts in the carousel and I do it with excellence and I do it right. And it takes me about 30 minutes to get all the carts loaded because I realize I'm helping somebody. I'm helping the 16 year old boy that don't want to go out in the heat that day or the 19 year old girl who don't want to collect the carts because it's raining. This, this man who is broken is fixing that for them, gathering all the carts. And it gets me out of my own condition. It gets me out of my own head. So here's your goal. The next time anxiety has its hands on you, your goal is to find something to do for someone else and they won't know about it. One time I was, I was doing the carts and the guy came out and he was super grateful. He's like, oh, thank you so much. I'm like, dude, go away. You're ruining it. Go away. He thought I was crazy. But the goal is to not get thanked. Because you're not doing anything for gratitude. You're doing it for humility. To understand that the world is bigger than you, bigger than your problems, bigger than your anxiety. You're going to go help somebody. They're not ever going to know about it or who it was. You're not going to get a thank you. And it's just a simple little trick that works for me every single time. Father, we come before you today. I thank you. God, I thank you for your people who want to lean into devotion with you to trust you more, to walk with you, to be satisfied with you, to worship you. God, to see your face and to seek you. God, I ask in Jesus' name that you would just draw close to us as we draw close to you. It's a promise. It's a promise that as we lean into you, you will lean into us. God, you don't hide yourself from us. So God, help us this week just to walk into new, deeper levels of intimacy with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 If you said yes to Jesus during today's worship service, you've experienced something new, I'd love for you to text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. We would love to walk this journey with you. We love you guys. We'll see you.